Well, good morning again, and welcome to those of you in here in the sanctuary or those worshiping in the fellowship hall and all those who are also joining us on the live stream. My name is David, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at the church. And one of the areas that I work with is missions, and I'm also passionate about it. So I'm excited to ask you to turn to Psalm 96 this morning, where we will be considering grace-filled missions. We've just concluded, or we are concluding, a five-week series called This Matters, looking at why we do what we do here at MPC, talking about how grace changes everything. How does the gospel impact what kind of church that we want to be? And we've looked at how grace changes our worship. We've explored the definition that worship happens when we celebrate by enjoying what God has, who God is, and what he has done for us. And then we also looked at community last week, uh, exploring what grace-filled relationships look like. And we said that grace-filled community happens when we equip believers to share not only the gospel, but our lives through tenacious, authentic, and vulnerable care for one another. And so today, we consider the topic of grace-filled missions. So let's just read the first three verses of Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have just sung that you can move the mountains. And so, Father, we know that you can also move our hearts this morning, that you can turn our affections to Christ. Father, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is the same power that's present with us today. And so, Father, Holy Spirit, move within us that we would understand grace-filled mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What makes a church old? How do you determine the age of a church? Is it the age of the building? Is it the age of the congregation? Is it the age of our senior pastor? If that were the case, we'd be a very young church because our senior pastor looks like he's 18. But we are not old because of our, or young because of our relatively new facilities. We're not young because of the congregation, uh, the congregation makeup, or young because of our senior pastor. You know, actually, uh, one of my favorite stories our staff shared just a few weeks ago uh, with our elders. Before they came on staff, they snuck in here one Sunday just to check us out, and so they sat up in the balcony up there and you know, they were hoping that the uh, senior pastor would be preaching so that they could uh, hear him. And uh, they were sitting up there. They didn't know what he looked like. And so James comes up to preach. And then this person leans over to their wife and said, oh, man, I was hoping that the senior pastor, I didn't know the youth pastor was preaching here <laughs> today. And then after he preached, he leaned back over to his wife and said, well, if that's the assistant pastor, the senior pastor must be incredible. 
What determines the age of the congregation? A church gets old and a church dies when it loses its outward face, when the church forgets that Jesus has commissioned us to take his gospel to the world. If you're here for the first time today, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. And I hope that you'll leave this message understanding that we are a church that doesn't just exist for ourselves. We exist for others, for you, for this city, and we're really glad that you're here. And if you're a long-term, long-time member here at NPC, I hope that you'll be encouraged today to continue to walk in step with the young legacy that we have inherited by so many of the believers who have been involved in the life of this church for almost 75 years. So today we want to look at this topic of grace-filled mission so that we would continue to be a young church. We want to ask, what is it? And then we want to talk about how do we apply grace-filled missions in our context. So what is missions? How do we do it here at MPC? Let me give you the definition of what grace-filled missions looks like here at MPC. Grace-filled missions is sending disciples who enjoy God's grace to extend his glory through service and multiplication. Okay, let's break that apart by looking at our passage. Look down at Psalm 96. Look at the end of verse 2 and also the end of verse 3. It says, tell of his salvation. And then the end of verse 3, it says, declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples. Do you see what's happening there? God is sending his people on mission. The phrases that are used here in this psalm, Isaiah translate as tell the news. Uh, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of this, talks about evangelizing the world. Very clearly, in this passage, God is commanding his people to tell and declare the good news to the world. And that's not a new idea that we just encounter here in Psalm 96. Do you realize that this has been the commandment since the beginning of time? Think back to Genesis and in the garden in Genesis 1:28, what did God command Adam and Eve to do? He commanded them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. God commissioned us at creation. And God has repeated this command throughout history. You might remember when God was speaking to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. When God promised to Abraham, he said, I will bless you, Abraham. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing to the nations. And then this commission is also repeated in that famous passage at the end of the Gospel of Matthew known as the Great Commission. The last words that Jesus tells his disciples, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that's the first part of our definition. God sends his people to tell and declare about his mighty works, okay? 
Now let's break that down a little bit further. If we are sent to tell and declare, we have to recognize that all of us in this room, as the people of God, we are his ambassadors to the world, we are his witnesses, and we are also his servants. And so if we are his messengers, what's the message that we are to declare? That's the second part of this passage. We are sending disciples who enjoy God's grace. Look again at Psalm 96. Three times in this psalm, we are commanded to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. And how often are we supposed to sing? Day to day. All the time. If you can't tell, the psalmist is really excited. There's irrepressible joy in this psalm. It's explicit. Look down at verse 11. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. The psalmist is singing because he's enjoying grace. You know, most of us sing when we enjoy something. Think about it. When you enjoy a person, what do you do? Well, if you grew up in the 1980s, maybe you've seen the movie Top Gun. What did Tom Cruise do when he enjoyed a certain female? He's saying, you've lost that loving feeling. He sang to her. You sing to a person that you enjoy. How many of you listen to Delilah or call in and dedicate a song, right? You sing for joy when you enjoy a person. Now, some of you may have even written a song that you sang to your spouse on your wedding day. I've been to a lot of weddings. I'm a pastor. Some of them are really good and some of them are really bad. (laughs) But they're beautiful because they're from the heart right there. (laughs) We sing when we enjoy something like a person. We also sing when we enjoy an event. Maybe some of you were watching college football yesterday. My team only scored one touchdown, so we didn't sing a lot. But when my team scores a touchdown, we sing Rocky Top. Or maybe some of you sing uh, like at the, you know, we see people sing after the Olympics, right? You win a medal. You sing the national anthem. Maybe some of you sing in the shower when you're anticipating something fun that's going to happen that day. Or you sing when you're going somewhere that you love. Every time I would go home from college, I'd always have my playlist, right? I'd turn on Kenny Chesney and listen to Back Where I Come From. We sing when we enjoy something, a person or an event. And that's what's happening in this psalm. The psalmist and the people are excited about who God is and what God has done for them. That's our definition of worship. It's also what we would call doxological evangelism. As we enjoy and celebrate who God is and what he's done, we declare his grace to the world. You know, you do that very simply when you come here for corporate worship week after week. You know, I I spend a lot of time with our newcomers. 
And one of the things that's mentioned most often about what they enjoy about this church is the congregational singing. It's like all of you actually enjoy being here and singing and you're smiling and there's joy. When you come into this room and you are excited to be here, when you are enjoying his grace, you are telling and declaring that to those who visit with us. And as James mentioned, another way that we enjoy his grace is to connect the dots of the blessings that we've received in our lives. You have a great opportunity to enjoy his grace on Thursday. The turkey, the cranberry sauce, the stuffing. We connect the dots that all those good things come from his hand. And we are enjoying not only food, but friends and family on this day. And as we enjoy grace gratitude, thanksgiving, others want to experience that joy as well. What are we sent to declare? Number one, his grace. Number two is this, because we are sending disciples who enjoy God's grace to extend his glory. You see, the content of our message is there, right? We're to tell of his salvation from day to day. What are we to declare? We're to declare his glory. What is his glory? It's his marvelous works among all the peoples. So what has God done? Well, we could talk about the individual things that God has done in our lives. We could also point to the story of the Bible, that since the beginning of time, what has God done for us? Let me summarize the Bible for you in four chapters. This is what we are declaring. Number one, creation, chapter one. God created the world and it was good. It was perfect. Fall, chapter two. Human beings messed it up with sin and pain and suffering and brokenness entered the world when sin entered the world and human beings rebelled against a holy God. Chapter three, redemption. God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died, and to rise again. And he is redeeming the world through the work of Jesus Christ. But that's not the end of the story. Chapter 4, restoration. And one day, someday, Jesus is coming back to make all things new. Where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more brokenness, and he will wipe away every tear. That's what he's done. That's his glory. And he does that in our lives as we hear that story and we respond to him by turning away from our rebellion and turning towards him, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that's the story we've always told at this church for almost 75 years? I've heard so many of you talk about our longtime pastor, Steve Smallman, who was here from 1967 to, I think, 1996. And I've heard a lot of you reference um, 
his commitment to missions and to seeing the kingdom grow and even talk about a paper that he wrote about how the kingdom grows. And he was here just a couple weeks ago and had the opportunity to go to lunch with him. And one of the questions I asked him, I said, I hear a lot of people talk about this paper that you wrote about the kingdom growing. Can you send it to me? Uh, And he did. And I was really struck by what he wrote in this paper. This is the story that MPC has been telling for so long. The gospel is the announcement that God has fulfilled his promise to bring salvation to earth. And this salvation is found in the person of Jesus the Messiah. We respond to the gospel by turning to Jesus to begin a life following him as his disciples. As he brings hope to a world in bondage to sin, it is good news not only for the individual, but also for the whole world. God has come to bring us shalom and peace. Do you understand that salvation is so much more than a bus ticket to heaven? It's the restoration of the entire world. So what are we sent to declare? We are sent to tell and declare his grace, and we are sent to tell and declare his glory. That's what it means to be grace Filled. That's what it means to do missions driven by grace. You see, we are passionate about reaching those who are far from God because God reached out to us. You see, missions is an overflow of the gospel in our own souls. John Piper has written about this, and he has this famous line when he says, Seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by the joy of our own worship. You can't commend what you don't cherish. You can't proclaim what you don't prize. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Understand this. I can get up here and talk about missions, and I can motivate you. I can manipulate you. I really can. It's not that hard, (laughs) right? I can manipulate you by making you feel guilty. Great guilt is a great short-term motivator. Don't you realize everything that God has done for you? Shouldn't you get out and do something for him? I can also motivate you with pride. Guess how much we're giving to missions, and guess how much the other church is giving to missions. Don't you want to be better than other Christians at missions? Don't we want to show them how much we love missions more than they do? Or I could also motivate you by fear, right? I can tell you, you know what? If, if we don't do missions, God's going to punish us. But you see, that's not our tagline. Guilt doesn't change everything. Fear doesn't change everything. Pride doesn't change everything. Grace changes everything it's more compelling and that's why we are committed to having grace filled missions our zeal for extending glory is a result of us experiencing grace jesus the gospel what he has done for us what is grace filled missions it is sending disciples who enjoy God's grace to extend his glory through service and multiplication.
And that's the second part of our sermon here. How do we go about extending God's glory and enjoying his grace? Two things in our philosophy. We do it through service and we do it through multiplication. What do I mean by service? What we mean by service is this. All of you in this room, if you are a member at this church, we hope and we pray and we work that you will be using your God-given spiritual gift to bless other people in this church and to bring them into an experience of the healing power of the gospel. That's what it means to serve in this church. You see, what we're told in Scripture is that when we are born again, when we have a second birth, we receive from Jesus a gift that's used to edify one another. That word edify means to build one another into the spiritual house of God. All of you, if you are a believer, have been given a gift by God to bless this church, to build up the body of Christ. So how do we engage in Gracefield Mission? Number one, you serve in this church. Number two, we multiply. We're not content with it just being here. What are we trying to multiply? We're trying to multiply three things, both locally and globally. We're trying to multiply individuals, multiply believers. We want to share the gospel in an intelligible way and partner with anybody who is working to do that. Number two, we want to multiply churches. Why? Because we believe that the gospel is for every person and every people should have a church. God's plan A for building his kingdom is the church. And so we are excited to multiply churches both locally and nationally. The third thing that we are passionate about multiplying here is justice and mercy. God has a heart for the vulnerable, like the orphan, like the widow, like the immigrant. And we want to multiply mercy both locally and globally. That's a lot of stuff to multiply. So how do we prioritize what we do? We prioritize our philosophy by four things. Number one, unreached people groups. We want to bring resources and people to those communities who have insufficient resources to reach their own communities. We do that globally. It's the reason why we're partnering with the church plant in Turkey. Do you realize that in Istanbul, there are over 15 million people in Istanbul alone? That's the combined population of several of our largest U.S. cities. And in this city, there are less than 2,000 believers. The size of MPC in some of the largest cities in the United States combined, they have insufficient resources to reach their country with the gospel. That's why we're there. You know, we also have an opportunity to reach unreached people groups here locally. Our ESL ministry, English as a secondary language, do you realize that we have over 97 different people from 30 different countries coming to us every week? And we get to build friendships, teach English, and share the gospel and our lives with 30 different countries 
every week. Unreached people groups. That's a priority. Our second priority is this, long-term relationships. We want to partner with fewer ministries so that we can bring greater resources to bear. It's the reason why we partner with ministries like Romanian Christian Enterprises that was started out of this church since 1992. We partner with Kenya Mercy Ministries. Why? Because we've been working with them for so long and they're doing justice and mercy in one of the largest urban slums in the world. One million people living in less than one square mile. Long-term relationships are important with RCE and Kenya Mercy Ministries globally. But they're also important locally. In our city, we partner with the Lamb Center to meet the needs of the poor and the hungry. We partner with Crisis Pregnancy Centers. We partner with the Bethany House to serve and minister to women and children who are the victims of domestic violence. We form long-term partnerships with these ministries so that our city would weep if we weren't here because we want to make Jesus beautiful locally. Not only do we believe in long-term partnerships, we also believe in local leadership. That's one of the reasons why we partner with the Deutschland Project in Germany because they're raising up local leaders to start a church planting movement and they're planting churches across Germany. That's what we're doing globally with local leadership. But we're also doing that locally. It's the reason why we planted three churches in the last four years. We planted a church in Falls Church, in Rockville, and in Ashburn, and we're going to plant a whole bunch more. Why? Because we believe in local leadership, and local leadership can best reach their community with the gospel. Local leadership is so important to the life of our church. Our fourth priority is this, homegrown missionaries. We pray and we work that God will raise up laborers for the harvest. And when he does, we want to support them. And you know, we have new missionaries that we've just sent out this year. We sent out Emily Eisler to um, InterVarsity in Virginia. And we've been supporting Wilma Cross in Chile since 1971. Homegrown missionaries. Friends, that's how we go about missions at MPC. Let me tell you about uh, a famous missionary who went to India. You may know his name or you may have heard this illustration before. William Carey who blazed the trail to India in 1792. And he described his mission as a miner penetrating into a deep mine which had never been explored with no one to guide him. And as he was preparing to go to India, he was meeting with two of his friends. And to these two friends, he said, I will go down into the mine. I will go to India if you will hold the rope. And his friends made an oath. We will hold the rope and we will not let go. Friends, that's what I'm asking you to do today. Don't let go of the rope. How do we hold on to the rope of being an outward-facing church 
of inheriting this legacy of taking the gospel to the world, three quick, concrete things for you to do. Number one, invite. Invite your friends into your life. It's very easy. Set an extra place at your table for Thanksgiving on Thursday. Invite your friends to see you enjoying God's grace in your life. Maybe invite them to worship here. Advent is coming up, those four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a time when people are really curious about Christianity and they're looking for someone maybe to invite them to a church to hear more about Jesus. Bring them here. We work really hard for you to trust us with your friends. Invite. Number two, involve. Use your spiritual gift in this church to bring people under the lordship of Christ. There are no I just jobs here. There are no I just park. I just teach Sunday school. I just fill up the communion. There are no I just jobs here. All of us are working to glorify God and enjoy him and make disciples through any role that we play here. Involve yourself by using your gifts. And third, invest. Invest your time, your talent, and your treasure it can get awkward sometimes when a pastor has to talk about giving money, but I'm not ashamed to talk about it. You know why? Because I believe in what we're doing here at MPC. When you give to this church, you're not giving so that you'll be blessed. You're not giving so that you'll bless me. You're giving so that we will bless others. You're not crazy for giving to this church. We take great responsibility in stewarding those gifts, whether it's to the general fund that supports all these ministries or the Thanksgiving offering that starts new ministries like Project Belong. Friends, we have inherited a young legacy. We are a church full of life and vitality because we have an outward face. May it be so. Grace-filled mission happens when we send disciples who enjoy God's grace to extend his glory through service and multiplication. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, may we be a people who are changed and motivated by grace. May we be a people who are not driven by pride, guilt, fear, or shame. But we would be a people who are passionate about reaching those far from God because we were those who were exiled and far from God. Father, may this be true for another 70 plus years here at MPC. May we always be a young church, outward facing and passionate about your message to proclaim to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.